Hello and welcome to Heroes Unmasked, staff stories from Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust with me, Caroline Verdon. Here's a question for you. What do world-class mahjong players and professional footballers have to do with Leeds Teaching Hospitals? Answer? They all work for the hospitals. This series goes behind the scenes to meet directors, doctors, support staff and everyone in between to find out who the people behind the masks really are. Hello, welcome and thank you for joining us for episode six of this new series. On today's episode, we speak to Alastair Bailey. Now, he is the lead nurse for stroke services at Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. But what a lot of people don't know about him is that his driving force uh, is really something that was ingrained in him at a very early age when he was at boarding school and he sadly lost his mum. So, Alastair, thank you for joining me and for sharing your story. Let's um, let's go back and start off with how you ended up in boarding school in the first place. The reason why I was sent to that was I walked into my parents' bedroom at three and asked why we were here. What is our purpose? <laughs> and I think they were a little bit shocked. <laughs> my father wasn't keen to send me, but my mother said, well, if he passes the exam, he could go. But I only lived 16 miles away from the place. And a lot of my friends who from school were going to the same school as well. But I didn't want to go on a bus for 16 miles a day. I was very keen not to. And I suppose, you know, some of it I felt like I wanted just to get away from my not my parents' control, but just just be a little bit more independent. So I said I'd like to live there because they did boarding. And it suited my parents because they were, you know, they had their own business. So I was out of the way and someone else was looking after me. And what was boarding school like? A bit like Hogwarts. Um, <laughs> and um, Lord of the Flies. A cross between the two, really. It was certainly survival of the fittest. I mean, we're going back to a time when we didn't even have much telly. Uh, we had times of the day. The school was run by a bell indicating what happened when. Punishments were um, caning still when I was there. And then that got abolished. And then it was things like gating, where you would have to have a book signed every 15 minutes. You weren't in lessons or obviously a weekend you weren't in church. But also, because there was no TV, that much of it anyway, there was a lot of chat. We talked a lot and problems were understood and problems were discovered and and helping each other through or talking through issues that may have had problems with some other kid and they'd come and chat to you about it or you had a problem, you'd chat to someone about it. You learnt the art of uh, conversation and I think that's, we can't buy that, can you? I guess that was probably the best thing about the school. And also, you know, there's access to things, sport. And I I was a school swimmer, so we travelled around the country with that. Um, Fencing, I enjoyed that. That was good fun. Um, And I was involved in school plays a lot. So, yeah, I think it was an opportunity. But unfortunately, not all wonderful places are as wonderful behind the scenes. And, And I think at that time in the 80s, Whilst we did have a, a vicar, the, the pastoral care of the children wasn't what really it could have been, I suppose. I lost my mum at age 16, but she'd been dying since I was 13. She had breast cancer and she had an operation. 
to remove it, but unfortunately um, she got an infection in the clips because um, they did this um, operation that they no longer do anymore, which is where they take a scoop. It's called a, a, a cleavage sparing mastectomy, which is no longer performed. And um, the clips got infected, so she withheld her radiotherapy for, for a little while. <clears throat> and by that point, it spread to her lymph nodes and around about six to seven, or six to eight months after that, um, it was she had a diagnosis of bone, bone metastases. And she battled on um, up until I was 16. I'd finished my GCSEs, but by that point, I'd kind of lost the plot and messed all my GCSEs up. Had to resit. I was subsequently only allowed to do A-levels that they deemed suitable for someone with in inverted commas, the results that I got. So therefore, my kind of life changed a bit because of that. I've always been a bit shy of academic work subsequently, I suppose, because I've always thought I was a bit dumb at writing. And, um, you know, I think things would have been a little bit different, but I'm not upset where things have turned out because what, what could I do about it? So I can't control it. So move on. Get on with it. It must have been extremely hard to be physically away from your mum at that point in time. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was difficult because we only had, you know, a dial-up phone with a... Um, we had to put your finger on and turn it around and put 10 Ps in. And that was the only communication we had. That and letter. Um, although... I would get quicker letters than the post because our next door neighbour's son was a day boy. So he was the Pony Express, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I needed a bit of extra cash or something like that, um, I'd, I'd uh, wait for Adam to get off the bus. <laughs> um, but yeah, so communication wasn't as rapid. But, you know, we could pick up the phone and I know where she was. But when she was dying and she was in hospital, that was particularly difficult because I would rely upon my dad. My dad had a business to run, and he'd go and see mum every night and go home, make himself something to eat, go to bed, go to work. And that was, you know, seven days a week. He, he was a, a, a very busy, tired man. But I remember, <clears throat> I mean, I suppose one of the, the reasons for nursing being uh, a draw was um, probably in the final days, might have even been the final hours. I don't know, really. I can't really remember the timeline. It's a while, <laughs> it's a while ago. Um, they wheeled her down the corridor to the telephone so that she could speak to me. And that's had a huge impact on you and also the path you've taken too. Yeah. Nursing and what they did for me was something that I felt I could give something back. Because I'd gone through a pretty horrific time. That's how I figured it in my mind, that I'd gone through something pretty horrific and that I had something inside me that needed to give something back, that I could offer people some solace that, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, there is something around the corner. Look at me. I'm all right, despite a very thin veneer of, of, of emotion, because uh, it, it does pop through quite quickly for me at times. I can 
cry with patients and relatives quite easily myself. Um, she's not a bad thing. I don't, don't, doesn't bother me. <laughs> um, because, you know, these emotionally charged moments are, happen, don't they? Um, and we're all human at the end of the day. You know, we can get upset about stuff. Because you feel that empathy, that, that tragedy that's there. And, and the love of people that you have. So, that you know, the, these nurses changed that. I mean, I suppose that defining moment is, you know, being able to recognise what they did that day for both her and I to have that final conversation and then define other parts of my life, you know, and think that I can do something and that's what I would like to do. I mean, that's at the core of my beliefs of nursing is, is, is that's what you're there for, um, utilising your skills and knowledge and as well as um, aiding the person to deal with, overcome or live with um, their condition and try and give a bit of a normality back as well, have a bit of a laugh. You know, humour, if you can find that humour with a patient, it's invaluable. Being able to walk into a bay in the morning and if you knew your patients well, you're like, morning, how are you? And then, morning. And you'd created a, or you create this bond with them, with your patients. I love that. That was ward nursing uh, when I did it. Um, I loved it. Loved that part. You know, there'd be lots of different characters in each bed, but you'd have something on them, or you knew something about them that would, and you could have a bit of a giggle with them. And that was really important to me, you know, being able to... And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as much as they did, you know. I'm turning up, handing out a few tablets and then having a chat with them and explaining things and seeing how they're doing, just being there. It's like, is this work? <laughs> Alistair, thank you so much for talking to me and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Coming up on next week's episode, we meet Georgie Duncan, who is the Deputy CCIO at Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. But what a lot of people don't know about her is that she's actually a really big believer in volunteering. And despite leading a really busy life, she still finds the time to give her time up to others. We'll find out why that motivates her next week. Heroes Unmasked is an Under the Mast audio production.